Uh, you know, this church was really founded on the belief that God uses young people to change the world. If you, if you read through Christian history, you read that the heart of rev- uh, revival was really fueled through the hands and the hearts of young people. Uh, the core of this church was planted with young people that grew up together in a youth group. And so we're so glad to have you here tonight. And, you know, you're here uh, in college or in high school or, or whatever. You're, you're really there to try to learn how to use your brain. Did you know that? Did you know that's what our education system was founded on? Not to just try to give you a piece of paper so you can get a job, which is what, you know, uh, most of us think we're in college or whatever to just get a job, right? Well, the liberal arts education, whether uh, represented by the city you live in, uh, the school you're at, high school you're at, or represented by the college you attend here, was founded on the idea that we can learn how to use our brains in a redemptive, God-honoring way to change the world. And the mind should matter to us tonight, and it should especially matter to you young people, because the mind is under assault. Mental health is worse than it's ever been in modern history, and we are literally getting dumber as a society, though we have access to the most information that we've ever had. Dr. Archibald Hart is a psychologist that has influenced me heavily over the last 15 years. Uh, He's a Christian psychologist who's internationally renowned in the study of culture's influence on the brain. And uh, I'm gonna be referencing a lot of people tonight and I can't endorse all of them, but Dr. Hart, I can endorse wholeheartedly. So if you have an interest in mental health from a Christian perspective, or even just mental health in general, Whether you're a Christian or not, it's going to be very helpful to you, but especially if you are a Christian. Uh, So I would recommend you read more on that. He's a senior professor and dean emeritus at Fuller Theological Seminary, and he's the head of the psychology department there. Uh, He, with much of the rest of the psychiatric community, believes that current society is being made less intelligent, mainly by our overexposure to media. You see, Dr. Hart sees a trend. The digital world that we live in, filled with internet addictions of all kinds, which we're all addicted to, to one level or another. Uh, Can you go a day without connecting online somehow, be it porn, social media, shopping, gaming, or whatever other kind of things you're into online? Many of us spend more time online. In fact, most of us statistically spend more time online than we do with other human beings. We spend more time talking online than we do Uh, with our fingers than we do actually talking with our voices to other human beings. We simply were not made to operate this way. It's actually uh, studies, be they secular or sacred, show that uh, this overexposure to media, particularly particular internet addiction and obsession is decreasing our gray matter in our brain and injuring our white matter. You see, gray matter contains most of the brain's neuronal cell bodies. You didn't think you were going to get a lesson in uh, biology tonight, did you, in neuroscience. But this includes the regions of the brain involved in muscle control and sensory perception. And by sensory perception, what Dr. Hart means is seeing, hearing, memory, emotion, speech, decision-making, and self-control. So our gray matter is actually what makes us us. It's what defines who will we become and the effect that we will have on society. 
It's everything. It's what Christians would call, in many ways, the effect of our souls. It's who we are. Psychology over the last decade has said that not only is gray matter important, but white matter is as well. White matter consists of millions of nerve fibers. You can picture it like fiber optics. And it connects uh, parts of our brain that signal nerves to talk to one another so that we can talk and stand up straight and think quickly. You can think of it as uh, what happens when that that part of our body becomes deteriorated, signals can't get through, and it's like a garden hose that's been folded in half, and the water comes out sporadically, and the hose can't be used effectively. This brain disease has been typical over, uh, among elderly populations. It's called dementia when this happens. But according to Dr. Hart and others, studies in South Korea and China show that uh, these signs of dementia are showing up more and more in young people that they're literally suffering from the same characteristics like forgetfulness, like absent-mindedness, like uh, uh, an inability to connect with reality the way an elderly person would. They call it digital dementia. Along with this dementia, Dr. Hart also found that the obsessive nature of uh, social media addiction is driving our minds crazy. It's fracturing our minds. It's bringing disease to our minds. Just since 2008, anxiety, depression, and suicide is up by 50% among young people. Literally, the colleges can't keep up with the mental health crisis. My wife's a middle school counselor. They can't keep up with the mental health issues. Our brains are bombarded with massive amounts of information, more than we can process. We read and process more conflict than our brains can handle when we get on social media and, and get on uh, the news and we see so much anger and division and lack of ability to seek to understand the other side. We are becoming like zombies. Average IQ is down over the last 50 years in every socioeconomic class. And it's directly related to time spent in front of a screen. Now, I want to say here that Dr. Hart and I, we are not demonizing technology. I have every gadget known to man. My friends, including my family, they will affirm this. They call me Gadget Boy. I mean, look, I've got two gadgets right here. I've got tablets. I've got whatchamacallits. I've got, you know, I've got, the, I've got it all. Every kind of headphone you can imagine. I am not anti-technology. Dr. Hart was the very first person to do his doctoral dissertation on a computer that was like the size of this room because he's an older guy. Okay, not talking anti-technology. We're talking about addiction to technology, addiction to media, and what that's doing to our culture. It's serious because what we, uh, what and how we think determines how we feel, and how we feel determines what we do. For example, a person with depressed thoughts can't really be happy. They can pretend to be online, but they can't truly be happy. Young and old alike put up a front of happiness online only to be privately dying of depression, anxiety, and loneliness. We're more connected than ever, but more isolated than ever, aren't we? Cybersexual and social worlds that can tra- can't translate into real life are killing us. Pornography is literally rewiring our brains, and we no longer understand what genuine human intimacy is. 
I talked to a high school student recently who said they did not know one couple who was dating who had a healthy relationship at their high school. It was all just hookup sex. A generation has changed dramatically. It's like we saw this, this slow decline and now we have jumped off a cliff because of pornography. What was once only available even 20 years ago in a bookstore or in a place where you had to go get a, a video or whatever is now available on all of our smartphones. We say that we're sexually liberated and we're in way more bondage than any culture throughout history has ever been by far. The most searched item on the internet every day, every day is porn. Every day, more than ABC, CBS, NBC, every major sports program, professional baseball, basketball, soccer, hockey, all of that combined every single day. The average exposure to pornography is uh, younger than the age of 13. Our sexual DNA has been stamped by this stuff, not to mention all the other internet addictions. In addition to Dr. Hart's brilliant insight, I've more recently been exposed to another great thinker on the state of mental health in our country. Greg Lukanoff, a graduate of American University and Stanford Law School, has worked for more than 20 years as a First, Amendment's, uh, First Amendment rights lawyer, activist, and speaker. Like Dr. Hart, he found amidst his 20 years of working on free speech that the mind is being coddled in America and growing soft and unhealthy. The grit and determination that was, that was present in our culture just a few generations ago is now given way to oversensitivity, lack of discipline, and a lack of ability to think critically and to seek to understand what people who are not like us, whatever you're like, think and feel. We are us versus them more than we've ever been. He's maybe best known, or at least most currently known, for his book, The Coddling of the American Mind, that uh, mirrored the article, same article he wrote for The Atlantic. If you want to get the abbreviated version, just search uh, The Coddling of the American Mind, The Atlantic, and you'll be able to get in five pages what he spends 300-some pages talking about in his book. Uh, but he won many awards, including the Hugh M. Hefner First Amendment Award for Writing. And he is not a Christian. He's not a Christian. He is non-religious, uh, most likely, I would assume, an atheist, and he's also a liberal, but he fights for the rights of free speech. And he said that historically, free speech was found in the demographic, one of the big demographics that's in this room, that the epitome of free speech was found on college campuses. But he says in the last 10 years, that's changed dramatically. That now, college campuses typically have one ideology that they push, and every other ideology, ideology is seen as the enemy, and is seen as evil and bad, and there is a lack of openness to other kinds of thought. Now he, uh, uh, for example, someone could be wearing a political t-shirt that you don't agree with, and that's seen as offensive, and there's no desire to think, why might they be wearing that t-shirt? It's just simply seen as us versus them. So there are three great untruths that he said that have been sewn into the fabric of our culture today that have caused us to be from becoming uh, open and understanding to close-minded in us versus them. So these three great untruths. The first is, what doesn't kill you makes you weaker. The idea there being that um, if you experience an offensive idea, it's the same as experiencing uh, an offense. It's the same as abuse. So in other words, that t-shirt example. 
Someone wears a political t-shirt that you don't agree with and they are assaulting you. They are causing you trauma with an idea. Whereas historically in the U.S., the idea has been what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. From a freedom of speech perspective, that means interacting with people of different ideologies and seeking to understand their perspective on religion, politics, sexuality, what have you, and maybe agreeing to disagree at the end of the day, but being able to do so respectively and not feel like you're incredibly offended and traumatized just because their ideas are different than yours. This has been a hallmark of democracy, free speech, and diversity on our campuses. The second uh, great untruth is always trust your feelings. So what this is getting at is that, uh, is that we evaluate whether or not something is worth discounting or believing based on how we feel about it. So in other words, if what you're talking about politically, religiously, whatever, makes me feel uncomfortable, it is therefore wrong, and I should discount it. Uh, whereas our, our public and private edu educational establishments historically have said, no, you are here to feel uncomfortable. You are here to experience disequilibrium, to be shaken up, to be challenged in your thinking. And even you're going to be made to feel uncomfortable, but you should be searching for truth. That's why you're here, to find truth. And to ask people and understand their perspective, to seek to understand, not be understood. And then finally, and I think this is the heart of it all, us versus them. This is homogenous thinking, and it, it's caused by the ghettoization of our culture that we see in social media, where sites like Facebook create an echo chamber, where we can fine-tune our friends to only hear from those that we want to hear from. And we're crazy offended when someone says something that we disagree with and people say things and so on, on social media that they would never say face to face. There's this visceral sense of anger and disregard for human decency. And the idea is it's us versus them. If you disagree with me politically, if you disagree with me religiously, then you are evil, you are bad. And what he's saying is uh, public universities historically didn't do that, but now they are demonizing whole sects of society. We see this when we watch Fox News and then CNN. The other side's the devil. Each has their own spin where they're only talking about one aspect of a story, right? You guys have experienced this. Lukanoff attributes these untruths by uh, uh, pointing out that not only have we isolated ourselves through social media, but we also have been raised, many of us, with helicopter parents who don't allow us to uh, approach conflict, but we're coddled instead. We're protected with playdates and we don't have the ability to go out there and skin our knees and actually talk to other human beings. We play baseball on our phones instead of baseball on the sandlot. So he attributes it to those things as well. Greg Lukanoff says that these untruths isolate us and destroy our mental health. So this sounds familiar to us, does it not, to Dr. Hart's findings uh, to internet addiction that we are isolated now more than ever. And it's ruining our brains and it's killing our ability to think. So both of them state what we all know is obvious, right? And that is, you are what you eat. And some of you freshmen are about to figure this out, right? You're gonna eat pizza, you're gonna drink beer, you're gonna smoke, and you're gonna wonder 
why this happens and why <laughs> this happens, right? Well, we are what we think. We are what we think, right? We know now even scientifically, biologically, that the brain can heal when we think right thoughts and the brain can be damaged when we think negative thoughts. It literally either destroys or builds our brain. It doesn't help though that, uh, that the psychiatric and scientific world believe that our brains are just a sack of chemicals. Can you believe that? It's just a sack of chemicals that exist that, we, that are uh, uh, responsive only to biology and environment, meaning our DNA and our environment, how we were raised and how we're genetically wired, that we have no free will, that any sense of free will that I think I might have is simply an illusion. I'm a computer. So that means that we can't, according to that line of thought, we can't personally hold, personally hold uh, people like Hitler and Stalin and those who commit gross social injustices accountable, can we? Because they're just like bad merchandise at Best Buy that need to go back on the shelf, either prison or to be done away with. They can't help it. And it means that I have no ability to change my mind. I might think I do, but it's only because I've been somehow programmed to respond in that way. Modern science and psychology has influential voices like neuroscientist Francis Crick, who co-discovered the structure of DNA, writing this. A person's mental activities are entirely due to the behavior of nerve cells, glial cells, and the atoms, ions, and molecules that make them up and influence them. Think about how devastating this thought is. It means that everything you and I do is simply a response to a directive like my Amazon Echo at my house. That's it. We are no better than just a sack of wires in a metal housing. And we may think we have a choice, but really it's just our chemistry responding to our environment. That's it. But we have some brave souls out there, some who, many, many, many in the uh, psychiatric and scientific community who swim against the flow. Dr. Egner is one who asks, is the mind simply mechanical? internationally renowned neuroscientist. He says this, he goes back to our roots and looks at Rene Descartes who argued that the brain and the mind were two separate substances, the brain being the material and the mind being immaterial. In other words, it's not a sack of chemicals in my head. And many like Egner and Descartes in that same profession today hold that, would hold that we indeed are material beings with immaterial souls. That means there's something wonderful and mysterious and transformational about this mind-brain relationship. There's something there that points to a creator, something bigger than us. It means that I can ask myself the question, why do I feel? And can I change? And if I can change my mind, my thinking, my brain, then maybe I can help change the brains of those around me. We can be changed, but first we have to acknowledge that uh, uh, there's been a massive disconnect between our pursuit of truth and our understanding of the source of truth. For example, a rational person understands that a child needs to be raised in a loving environment where they're intellectually, emotionally, and physically taken care of, right? We understand that to be true, but why is it true? Why is it true? 
or that it feels better and is more life-giving and actually better for our health to be generous than to be selfish. Did you know that? No one would disagree with that, but why? Why? Western culture is founded in the educational system that you're a part of, at least historically, maybe not today, is founded on a long legacy of pursuing truth. If we go all the way back to around 500 BC, we read the thoughts of Herculitis. How would you like your name to be Herculitis? I just thought of that. I'm a little ADD. If you come around long enough, you're going to see that. I'm on my best behavior, though, because you're new this week, but you'll, you'll get a, a bigger dose of weeks to come. But Herculitis, I mean, man, I, I just feel like I would, I would put 75 pounds on my bench right now, extra, if I could be called Herculitis. Can you start calling me Herculitis, Becky? She says no. Sorry. Maybe I convinced my kids to call me that. But Herculitus of Ephesus, 500 BC, he brings the concept of ultimate truth, this fabric behind the created order that holds everything together, and he calls it logos. It's a Greek word. And his understanding of logos was that uh, the continual, ever-changing cycle of renewal we see around us and in us is the divine soul of the world. So in a universe of flux, the only stable factor is logos. To quote him, he says, all human laws are nourished by the divine law through this word, this logos, this fundamental law existeth from all time, yet mankind are unaware of it. Herculitus did not subscribe to a belief in a transcendent God, or in, but what he did rather is subscribe to an imminent law or reason that brings everything together. He knew there was something there, and, but he didn't know what. I think it's similar to what Greg Lukanoff, the First Amendment rights activist, free speech activist that I mentioned just a moment ago. I think it's something similar to what he believes while he's not a Christian or a God-fearer, he's got to believe that something holds it all together. You know why? Because when you read his story, he says that he was overcome with depression, and what got him out of it was a uh, counseling ther therapy called cognitive behavioral therapy, where you replace wrong thoughts with right thoughts. Well, why do many of those right thoughts work? Because they have a source. Many, if you read up on cognitive behavioral therapy, many of the ways that we combat wrong thinking with right thinking are basically verses taken out of the Bible and a secular spin put on those verses. In other words, it's, it's uh, a knockoff. It's like wearing a pair of knockoff shoes. You know, it may have some of the same stuff, but you've forgotten the source. So it is with how I believe Lukanoff may have found that truth. But back to Logos through history. When we fast forward a few hundred years to around 300 BC, we read about the Stoics who had a very similar mindset, but they looked out at nature. They looked out at fire and wind and stars and dirt and everything else, and they said, all these things have actions and consequences, and there's, there's a logic to it that's, that brings the world together. Uh, a Stoic writer says this, Logos is the soul of the world. It pervades the universe as honey fills the honeycomb and links time with eternity. So there's this logos that philosophers who don't even know Christ, philosophers and scientists and mathematicians and all those seeking truth with all of their strength, they've been searching for it and they've, they've gotten glimmers of it. They've gotten taste of it. But in the Old Testament, we 
Read why Herculitis and the Stoics and many others search for truth and reason and what holds it all together, this logos. We find the history of our origin, how it all began, how we got here. In Judeo-Christian theology, the belief is that this great logos is found in God. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, when we read the creation account, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. So when we think about the words of someone, it reflects their thoughts. It reflects their intellect. And when God speaks, this word, also called Logos, capital W word, holds all things together. When he speaks, life happens. So he speaks light into existence. And you read on in Genesis 1, he speaks uh, the ground into existence and the sea and the sky and animals and all the rest. And then we read God creating man in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. It says, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. So God, the Logos, created man in his image. He says, let us make mankind in our likeness. Do you catch that? For those of you who haven't fallen asleep yet, why the us and ours? Aren't we just talking about one person, God, here? Well, I can't get into... Uh, all of it tonight, but the, you know, one sentence, one or two sentence doctrine of the Trinity is that God exists in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Three in one. And we can't get into it tonight, can't do a deep dive, but we can simply say tonight that God the Son is Jesus. He wasn't created like you and I were. In other words, Jesus didn't come into existence when he entered the world as a baby He always was. He was with God in the beginning because he is the great Logos. God's word, truth in the flesh. We see this in the Gospel of John where the story of the Christ is recorded. It says in John chapter 1, verse 1, In the beginning was the word, and the word, this is the capital W, Jesus. In the beginning was the word, the Logos, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning, Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So John, inspired by God, says, In the beginning was the Word, was this great Logos, this great Jesus, who all creation was carried out through him. This mysterious and wise force that holds it all together, that creates and sustains and guides, is found in Jesus Christ. He's the heart of truth. It also says that through him all things were made. As you read through the Gospel of John, and I would encourage you to do that, you'll read about this great Jesus, this great Logos. God became flesh through Jesus and made his dwelling among us, and he is the light, the life of all mankind. He is what every second of truth-seeking is ultimately after. We have a desire for truth because we are created in his image. 
He's what pricked the imagination of Herculitis, the Stoics, and anyone seeking truth. He's the reason the 10-year-old would-be doctor is fascinated with the human body and passionate about bringing health and healing. He's why the aspiring poet loves to grapple with words to bring out deep truths and buried emotions. The Logos is the reason why you were inspired by your third grade math teacher to study math now in college. I'd be shocked if any of you enjoy math, but I know some humans do. He gives the scientists fascination with the world around them and an artist a desire to make our hearts sing. He's the reason why you fell in love with the violin or soccer. You see, the Bible tells us in James chapter 1, verse 17, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. All things good and right in your life and in mine are from God, whether we know God, whether we're religious, irreligious or not, they're from God. But Jesus, the Logos, desires not only to give us good gifts, he wants us to have the best gift, which is a relationship with him. We see this in the very next verse in James 1, verse 18. He, that is Jesus, chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. So catch this. Uh, Christian and Ryan, when Ryan shared a moment ago, he shared what their philosophy of ministry was going to be. And what, what's the first part, Ryan? Four, three, two, or two, three? Three, four, twenty. Yeah, I knew the three. Three was in there somewhere. And the idea that there's Eastern culture, there's Western culture, and there's kingdom culture. And what Ryan means by that is Jesus not only came, he didn't come to be some moral compass, all right, to help us figure out the difference between wrong and right. That's not why he came. He came to establish a kingdom of joy. That is a kingdom of life, purpose, meaning, love, and all the rest. But when God created the world, he created man with the desire to be with him, with a, with a natural passive desire to want to be with God. Kind of like the natural passive desire that, that you have to go, uh, I don't know, uh, bungee jumping or drink coffee or things that you naturally enjoy to do. Uh, but sin entered the world and every human being has been polluted by this cancer called sin that ruins our desire to want God. We now desire other things. Our taste buds have been ruined to be satisfied with garbage and dung other than real and lasting and life-giving food found in Christ. We've all chosen to ignore this source of life, this Jesus, even though he's given us glimpses of truth, right? You guys have some of, you all in this room, I'm sure, have noble desires. That is a glimpse of truth. Many of you have great relationships in your life. That is a glimpse of this great logos, Jesus, in your life saying, here I am, and I've got more to give you. The best gift I want to give you is myself. But many of us just experience that glimpse. It's like the sun shining off the ocean. We see its effect, but we can't feel its warmth. Or you're in, uh, you see the picture of someone you love, but you can't hold their hand. That's where many of us are at. We're always seeking, trying to find new and better ways to ultimately find joy, but we're living in the wrong kingdom. Because Jesus, after the fall of man, uh, immediately entered the scene and provided a way for us to get right with God, to get back in our right minds so that we can once again walk with him. 
This is the goal of the Logos, Jesus in our lives. This is what it says in Romans 12, verse 2. And this will be the theme of this series. So you'll hear this verse quite a bit. Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you'll learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Don't we all want minds that are filled with peace and purpose, not out of control and numb and always seeking distraction? We can have our minds transformed to see the good in others instead of jumping to conclusions and being filled with hate. We can live with permission to feel being free to pursue passions that God puts on our hearts instead of being afraid to fail. We can stop punishing ourselves, creating roadblocks in our lives. We can stop drowning in a victimization mentality, handicapping our relationships. We can be free. We can be free. Jesus wants to change our minds, to change our thinking, to see that he is. This is what he says. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. In other words, he's the way to God. He is the truth that we've been seeking. He's the heart and the author of all truth, and none can be had apart from him. And he's the life. Meaning, again, what uh, Ryan mentioned earlier, that he's going to China because he wants people to come to know Jesus. Life. He wants them to experience life because Jesus entered into his life, and he wants to share it with others. And Jesus wants to share his life with you and change our minds. So maybe you would like to know more about Jesus tonight. I'd encourage you, we'll have people that are up here ready to uh, pray with you tonight if you'd like to talk. You can talk to someone who uh, uh, brought you. And uh, I'd also like to encourage you, stick with us through this series. It's just going to be 50 weeks. No, no, no. It's going to be, I don't know how long yet. I mean three, four, six, somewhere in there, okay? But I'd, I'd ask you to stick with this series and see, you know, yeah, all of us know that our minds are not right, don't we? Don't we? Can this Jesus change my mind? Is he the truth? Do you care about, if you don't care about what truth is and you just want to live your life, you're probably going to be bored here. If you want to come for the relationships or the great beverages we have, that's awesome. Keep coming. But for those of you who really want to know, hey, I want to know what's true. You owe it to yourself not to be intellectually lazy, but to pursue Jesus, who has been sought by billions throughout history as the way, the truth, and the life. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to encourage you guys, uh, you college students, don't forget to head over to the Kimball's house. That's still going on, right? Oh, good. That'd be really awkward if it wasn't, right? He'd be like, no, you guys can't come. But he loves you anyway. Uh, no, head over there. They're going to have an awesome party. You guys are going to love it. Uh, and again, want to encourage you to come back next week. Thank you so much for coming. Lord, thank you for your grace and your mercy. We love you and we worship you. And Lord, I pray there'd be many here tonight that decide to take the next step. Lord, and ask Jesus, hey, if, you're, if you are the truth, would you show yourself to me? In Jesus' name, amen.